Amen. Thank you. Um, I need to just level with you. I've been feeling really, well, kind of down. And my life has felt pretty lifeless. I mean, I've felt trapped, con- constrained. And so my counselor suggested that I read some good books. So I tried. I tried. I read this book, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. I really liked Snow White. And, and, then, I, and then I got to page 78 and I read this. They were too late. Snow White had already taken a bite of the poisoned apple and was lying lifeless on the floor. And I thought, this book sucks. I mean, she bites the apple and dies. <laughs> I stopped right, reading right, right there and threw it in the trash. And somebody said, hey, this book is uplifting, Dumbo. They said, this is great. Uh, but I started reading it. Dumbo is born deformed. Everybody mocks him. Uh, they lock his mother away in, in a prison. And, and, then, and then I read this. Dumbo, this is page 31, Dumbo crying for his mother, thought he had no friends in the world as the other elephants turned their, their back on him. How depressing. I don't want any part in, in this story. Lion King, that looks good, huh? Well, I start reading it. It's about this little, little lion named Simba. And uh, well, anyway, he screws up, and his father dies. His father dies, basically, because of Simba. Then page 53, I read this. If it weren't for you, your father would still be alive, Scar snarled. Run away, Simba, run away, and never return. Confused and heartbroken, Simba began to run. Crap. So I thought I'd read this one, Beauty and and the Beast. I mean, this one looked pretty good. I only got to page seven and I read this, but she wouldn't let him finish. Okay, there's this old woman at the prince's door. I have seen that there is no love in your heart, she said. That makes you no better than a beast, and so you shall become a beast. No, the prince protested, please. The enchantress raised her hands high. Slowly the boy changed. Dark hair sprouted on his face and hands. Claws, they, they grew from his fingertips. He screamed with pain. As his teeth became long and sharp, I hereby cast a spell on the entire castle, the enchantress declared. You shall remain a prisoner here, and you shall have no human company. Oh my gosh, that's awful. I mean, I, I was just more depressed than, than ever when, when I read that. And someone said, well, Peter, your problem is you're reading books for children. You meant that's for children, for children. They said, you need to try reading a grown-up's book. So I did. I got a hold of, of this book. I heard that this book was good. Star Wars, the, the trilogy. Star Wars. So I, I'm reading about Star Wars. It's pretty awesome till I come to page 168, okay? And I gotten into it, too. This guy, Obi-Wan Kenobi, is a Jedi master. And uh, page 168, I read this. This is Darth Vader. He's a creep, okay? He's talking to Obi-Wan Kenobi. Your philosophies no longer confuse me, old man, Vader growled contemptuously. I am the master now. Once again, he lunged forward, fainting, and then slashing in a deadly downward arc with the saber. It struck home, cutting the old man cleanly in half. Obi-Wan Kenobi, the Jedi master, dies. Darth Vader the creep lives. Forget that crap. I mean, it was like that one book after another book after another book. Someone said, well, you should read The Lord of the Rings. That's really awesome. And so I did. I got a hold of I'm reading The Fellowship of the Ring. Okay, I, really, I love this Gandalf guy, the wizard. He's great. Then I get to page 345 in the minds of, of Moriah, some, someplace like that, and I read this. With a terrible cry, the Balrog fell forward and his shadow plunged down and then vanished. But even as it fell, it swung its whip. I mean, just when I think things are working out, thongs lashed and curled about the wizard's knees, dragging him to the brink. He staggered and fell, grasped vainly at the stone, slid into the abyss. Fly, you fools, he cried, and was gone. The fires went out and blank darkness fell. The company stood rooted with horror, staring into the pit. 
It was so traumatic when, when I read that. I just, I, I ripped this page out of the book. Ripped the page out of the book, threw the book in the trash. This will be my memory of the Lord of, of the Rings. This sentence, the company stood rooted with horror, staring into the pit. That's my memory. Hate that book. I hate it. I hate it. Somebody said, well, you should try reading the Bible. I thought, well, yeah, the, the Bible. The Bible. Why didn't I think of that? That's full of good stories, right? So, so I did. I, I, read the, I read the Bible. I, I, I started reading the Bible. Eve bites the apple and dies. Adam. Adam turns into a beast incapable of love. Abraham tries to pimp his wife. You read that part? Moses journeys through the wilderness and he's a failure. He dies before he enters uh, the, the promise of King David. He sleeps with this guy's wife, then has him killed. Jerusalem, it keeps getting destroyed over and over and over again. And it doesn't get any better when you get to the New Testament after Easter and everything. Read about this guy, Stephen, they stone him and this other guy, Saul, young man's there. They give all their jackets to him, okay, to this guy named, named Saul. And then in chapter nine, Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. We're talking genocide, folks. I mean, it turns out that this Saul, also called Paul, is the foremost of all sinners, the worst of all sinners. Why would I run to read his story? It's obviously a bad story. So anyway, let's pray. Father, um, I think you've asked me to preach the gospel. So I pray that by the power of your spirit, Father, in Jesus' name, you would help us to preach. Amen. Well, as I hope you know, we've been preaching through the book of Ephesians, written by Paul. <laughs> uh, we've uh, made our way through the first few couple chapters, and I want to kind of review some of the things that, that we've read. Ephesians uh, 1 verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will or choice of God, by the choice of God. Paul then is a, is a story that God is telling. Verse 3, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. He chose us. Who's us? Well, it appears to be whoever is reading this letter. I mean, Paul seems to be pretty generous with his pronouns, us, Jews and Gentiles. In chapter three, he calls it the mystery of Christ that Jews and Gentiles are both chosen in Christ Jesus. It's a mystery, and yet it was there all along. Genesis chapter 12, God says to Abraham, um, Abraham, I, I choose you and uh, I bless you. He blesses Abraham and his seed and he says, I, I have blessed you in order to be a blessing to all the families, all the Gentiles, all the peoples of the earth. Theologian J.S. Whale writes this, this very particularity, choosing Abraham, right, is the sacrament of universality to bless all the nations of the earth. Theologian N.T. Wright writes, Wright writes, <laughs> uh, this covenant between God and Israel was always designed to be God's means of saving the whole world. It was never supposed to be the means whereby God would have private little, a private little group of people who would be saved while the rest of the world went to hell. So Abraham was chosen that others might know that they were chosen, that like Abraham, they are a story that God is telling. 
It's right there in the first chapter of Genesis. I, I think some of you have heard me talk about it. On the sixth day, God says, let us make man in our own image. According to scripture, it's still the sixth day. He's still making us in his image. Even according to physicists, from the standpoint of the Big Bang, because of relativity, time dilation, all that stuff, it, it's, it's still like the sixth day. God is still making us in his image. He's still telling our story. The first man perfected in his image is, is Jesus. Firstborn of all creation. Firstborn of all creation. Firstborn from the dead, the promised seed. He's the promised seed. We were chosen in him. He is the word through whom all things are created. The word, the logos, the, the reason, the, the plot. Jesus is the story, the good story that God is telling and we are chosen, chosen in him. In other words, God is telling his story, Jesus' story, in us, his body. In other words, everyone in this room, go ahead and look at, look at the people in this room, just look around, okay? Everyone in this room is a good story that God is telling. Jesus is literally the beginning, the end, and the plot. He's the beginning, the end, the plot. We, we're each chosen in Christ Jesus to be to the praise of his glory, and God's glory, remember, is grace. So everyone in this room is, is a good story that God is telling to the praise of his glorious grace, and you, you, can only see one page. N now, if uh, maybe you're the father, brother, sister, mother of, of the person that you looked at. Maybe you know a little more than one page, but you don't know all the pages. And so you see, what does that mean? It means it's, it's very easy to judge a person by one page in their story and then throw them in the trash thinking, this is not a good story. Not a good story. But Ephesians 1.10, Paul writes, the plan for the fullness of time God will anakephalio, unite all things under one head, one wounded head, one sacred head now wounded un under Christ. We know that he's already united us, his body. But uh, verse 10, he'll, he'll unite, he will unite all things. Verse 11, God works all things according to the counsel of his will, his choice, his word, works all things. I mean, that's incredible. So maybe we can will what God does not will, but only because he wills it. In other words, we can choose evil, but God remains in charge of the story. So it sounds like everybody that's anybody is a story that God is telling. <laughs> a good story that God is telling. Because Jesus is the plot. The beginning, the end, the logos. Jesus is the protagonist. But now every story, you know, has to have an antagonist, right? There has to be something the protagonist is fighting against. The antagonist is, is chaos, darkness, lostness, lies, death. But Jesus is the reason, the light, the way in the lostness, the truth and the lies, the life in the midst of death. He's spoken into this void. Uh, he's spoken like a word into this void. He's spoken like a seed into the dark womb of this world. He's spoken into you as the gospel of eternal life. Life, 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 eternal life. Chapter two, verse one, and you were dead dead in your trespasses and sins. In the Old Testament, did you know that dead is basically synonymous with Sheol, which gets translated into Greek as Hades, which gets translated into English as hell. In the Old Testament, hell starts on the surface of the earth, but it continues under the earth after a person's heart stops beating. In the Old Testament, like Ecclesiastes 9, everyone, everyone goes down to Sheol. And Paul writes, you were dead. Have you ever said, I just had one hell of a day? 
Because maybe you really did have one hell of a day. You live on the skin of hell. The service of hell, he writes, you were dead. Verse three, by nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So it's not like some were children of wrath and others were not children of wrath. It's not like some had a vessel of wrath and some did not have a vessel of wrath. You were all children of wrath. We were all born with the same nature, by nature. In other words, we're all one race, all by nature, children of wrath. But verse four, God made us alive together with Christ. Verse eight, by grace you have been saved through faith and this faith, this salvation faith is, is not your own doing. In other words, you're not writing your, your own story. It's the gift of God so that no one may boast. It's his choice for we are his workmanship, his masterpiece, his story created in Christ Jesus for good works. And what are the good works? Well, I imagine it's loving the world as he so loved the world, the world. So you see, we the church are chosen but not because others will never be chosen. Actually, it's just the opposite. We're blessed to be a blessing to all the families, all the nations, all the Gentiles of the earth. We're chosen by love that we might choose to love. We're chosen to proclaim that God has chosen to unite all things in our Lord Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2.11, therefore, therefore, writes Paul, remember, verse 14, he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, who has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Last week, we started talking about that dividing wall, and, and we realized that Paul must mean at least, one, the dividing wall between people and God, like the veil in the temple, remember, uh, that ripped from the top to the bottom when Jesus was crucified, as Jesus' body was ripped on the cross. And number two, he must be talking about that dividing wall in the temple that separates Jews from, from Gentiles, the wall that came crashing down exactly one generation after Jesus was crucified, the wall separating people from people or people from other types of people. And we thought three, he must also be talking about walls in the temple of our hearts, the walls that we create when we use the knowledge of good and evil in order to judge people. You know, I think we're supposed to, to judge actions, but we really can't judge people. We, we can't judge their stories, in other words. Why? Because we haven't read all the pages. So you see, when I judge people, when I judge a person, it's like ripping one page out of a book and then throwing the book in the trash. I, I don't even begin to understand all the factors, um, all the history that fed into the actions on one particular page. I mean, I don't know their history. I don't, I don't know what demons they carry with them. And I don't know why the author has included that page in the story. For you see, this person, this is where we get messed up. This person is not their own author. I can't judge their story. And yet, if I'm a Christian, I do know the plot. I know the beginning. I know the end. I know Jesus. So although I can't explain the story or judge the story, I know that it's a good story <laughs> written by an author who himself is the very definition of, of good, a good author. And if I know it's a good story, I won't throw it in the trash. On the other side of some wall. I mean, I, I won't separate. In fact, I'll actually get more interested for everything in a story has meaning or the author wouldn't allow it in the story. Everything in a story has meaning. Everything in the story reveals the plot. So I, I won't abandon Snow White in disgust, in fear, and, and loathing. I'll get all the more interested because I trust that it's a good story. I'll have compassion on Dumbo because I know Dumbo matters. The author included him in, in the story. 
and a hope for Simba in exile, hope for this selfish prince stranded in the flesh of, of a beast. I'll, I'll whisper to myself, surely we haven't seen the last of Obi-Wan Kenobi. And I wonder who it is that lies under that mask of Darth Vader. And even though Gandalf descended into hell, even if Gandalf loses hope, I won't lose hope because I know the author of the story. And we're not battling against flesh and blood. No flesh and blood is the antagonist. Battling against the forces of darkness and chaos and death. In other words, I'll just keep reading. I won't give up on, on the story, the, the, the person. I mean, even if they're infected with demons, even if they bite me like a beast, even if they have big, ugly ears, I won't give up on the story. I know the story isn't over and that the author is good, and so I won't cast them on the other side of some wall. Last week, we began talking about the wall that divides races of people, particularly that between the Jews and the Gentiles because that's the wall that Paul is talking about in Ephesians 2. It's a wall that, you know, you can still see to this day. I mean, just turn on the TV today. They're firing rockets over it today. It's a, it's a wall you can still see today in the Middle East. The, the dividing wall of hostility, it still stands, still stands because uh, some Jews and some uh, Christians believe that ethnic Jews are chosen for a particular blessing and ethnic Arabs are not. In other words, they believe that one story is blessed and the other story is not. And it's ironic because Isaac, father of Israel, and Ishmael, father of the Arabs, are brothers. <laughs> They're both sons of Abraham. And so if one is blessed, he's blessed in order to be a blessing to his brother. And remember what Jesus said, whatever you do unto the least of these, my brothers, you do to me. Jews, Gentiles. You know, it's fascinating that in the Old Testament especially, scripture usually talks about saving groups. Have you ever no noticed that? Groups. It's, it's inconceivable in Scripture that you could rest in paradise, for instance, while your wife and your children were tortured in flames. And so God reveals himself to, to families and teaches individuals within families to have grace for each other. And then God reveals himself to tribes and teaches families within tribes to have grace for each other. And then God reveals himself to nations and teaches tribes within nations to have grace for each other. And then Paul writes this, Ephesians 3, 6, the nations are fellow heirs with Israel. Well, anyway, last time we talked about the dividing walls between races and I said, there, I, think that, I think there may be a, a far greater dividing wall than that one between the Jews and the Arabs over there in Israel or between the blacks and the whites over there in South Africa or between uh, the Jews and, and the Germans 70 years ago in, in Germany. I think a far greater dividing wall and, and a far greater Holocaust because of it. I spoke about a dividing wall erected by the Western church in the sixth century when the church was conscripted by the empire of Rome. That's when this dividing wall started to become doctrine. The doctrine that some men were created and predestined for a story of endless grace, which they called heaven. And other men were created and predestined for a story of endless wrath, which they call hell. As if in the beginning, God said, let us make some men in our own image and likeness, and then let us bless them forever without end, and let us make some other men, most men in fact, as this like gross, distorted, perverted image of ourselves, and then let's curse them and torment them forever without end, forever without you, Jesus, because you're the end. It's the doctrine of eternal conscious torment, and I think it's really unbiblical theologically absurd 
and really insulting to Jesus Christ and the victory that he won upon his cross. And yet I've discovered that it's incredibly attractive. Why is that? It is a slippery slope of wishful thinking that some theologians have gotten on. Because quite frankly, they don't have the guts to deal with the reality of evil. There are different aspects, maybe different compartments, maybe different degrees like Dante suggested. But it's all pretty bad. I mean, I wouldn't want to go there and I certainly don't want to see anybody else go there and it's what compels me to do what I do. Oh, give me a Bible. Can anyone really believe, I mean really even want to believe, that Hitler's had a second chance, that Pol Pot and Stalin are going to be walking through the pearly gates with the rest of us good guys? I don't think so. Jesus was pretty plain. He spoke clearly to the fact that there are two ways, the broad and the narrow. Well, that's from the recent documentary, Hellbound, that several of us went to see a, a while ago. Pastor Bob says hell is a real place, and I think he's right. He says, I wouldn't hope it for anyone. And then he says, well, can anyone even want to believe that Hitler, for instance, goes to heaven? That is, I wouldn't hope hell for anyone, but of course I hope it for Hitler. We all hope it for Hitler. How could anyone even want to hope Hitler goes to heaven? But you see, if I can't hope heaven for Hitler, I surely can't hope heaven for Paul, chief of sinners, foremost of sinners. I mean, it's in the Bible, not Hitler, but Paul, foremost of, of sinners. Reverend Bob goes on to say, can anyone even want to believe that Hitler will walk through the pearly gates with the rest of us good guys? Well, who exactly are the rest of us good guys? I mean, according to Paul, by nature, we are all children of wrath like the, the rest of mankind. And once saved, we have absolutely no reason to boast for we didn't choose God. God chose us, that's the point of election, humility. Not our choice, humility, not pride. That's not the point of election. When according to Jesus, there are two paths and everyone takes the wrong path. Only one lived on this world without sin. Only one chose the narrow path and he became our path. He is the path, he is the gate, he is the way. He is the way, the truth, and, and, and the life. And he gave up his life for all, not for some. You know, I, I have countered demons on numerous occasions, cast them out, encountered even Satan. And over and over again, they really just say the same thing, and that's this. The grace of God in Christ Jesus is not sufficient for you or for them. In fact, Jesus didn't give his life for them, so you might as well just throw him over the wall. In fact, he didn't give his life for you, so you might as well just throw yourself over the wall. In fact, you are already on the other side of the wall. Welcome to hell, and nothing can prevail against the gates of hell. You ever listened to a voice like that? You ever spoken a word like that? See, I think there is a holocaust far greater than any other holocaust. And it's committed by us self-righteous religious folks and it's committed upon ourselves. Yeah, how's that? How's that work? Well, you see, if I take Paul seriously, as soon as I judge someone with the knowledge of good and evil, I'm dead. So already, when, when I start judging, okay, I'm, I'm actually on the other side of, of, of the wall. And so if I were to give you an accurate representation of the beginning of, of the message, it, it would look something more like this. I would start out here on the other side of the wall. 
that's where I start judging. Snow White, <laughs> she's pretty, but she's got nothing going on upstairs. She's got nothing to say. <laughs> Big ears. Killed his, he's full of shame, and you know, he should be. The guy, this guy is a beast, and he bit me. I'm not gonna forgive him. <laughs> no hope for Obi-Wan Kenobi. Darth Vader, he's an ass. Gandalf. Gandalf went to hell. Probably serves him right. He was kind of a new ager. Huh. Eve. She bit the apple and she's dead. Adam, he's a beast. Abraham, uh, he's a creep. Moses is a failure. D David, um, well, he should be impeached. Jerusalem just keeps getting destroyed over and over again. Paul, I mean, he's the worst, he's the worst sinner, chief of all sinners. And check this out. Jesus, Jesus numbered himself with the transgressors. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he descended into hell. Story over. At last, at last, at last, I'm safe. At last, I'm in control <laughs> behind these walls. The walls of my city, I'm at peace. I'm at peace in my city, the city of peace. Jerusalem, city of shalom, my Jerusalem. You know, it's interesting that 2,000 years ago, they judged Jesus out of Jerusalem and onto a cross, and their fortress turned into a prison, literally under siege by thousands of Romans. Their heaven on earth turned into hell on earth. Not heaven, but hell. Maybe any time I judge people out, I judge their creator out. Maybe any time I judge the story bad, I judge the storyteller bad. Maybe whenever I judge others out, I judge myself in to hell. I mean, it's, also, it's, almost, it's almost like the, the measure you give is the measure you get, or the judgment you pronounce is the judgment you receive. I mean, it's almost like you give hell and you get hell. Oh, hell. <laughs> An isolated, dark, lonely little kingdom of self with no life because you have literally judged all the life out of your kingdom, utterly alone and yet surrounded by evil spirits. Spirits of the accuser, spirits of accusation, spirits of darkness, lying spirits, evil spirits, and, 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 and you think it's the end. But it's not the end. Jesus is the end. Ephesians 4, 9, Jesus even descends into hell, the depths of the earth. Jesus, Jesus is the plot to your story. Why don't I believe the power and wonder of God's grace for other people's stories? Well, probably because I do not believe the power and wonder of God's grace for my own story. And yet crucified by me, Jesus gives up his spirit, his spirit of trust in in his, his father, his spirit of belief in his father, his spirit of faith, hope, and love. It descends into our dead hearts like a, like a word or like a, like a seed, giving us courage to look 
beyond our walls. You see, you don't have to descend into the depths of the earth. You don't have to descend into hell. He can set you free right now. Free, free from what? Well, free from yourself. Free from your sin. Free from this body of death and and hell. He can set you free, free from sin and free to love. That is free to live beyond the walls. And, and, And what is it exactly that's beyond the walls? Well, throw hell into the lake of fire. What's beyond the walls? Well, for starters, a bunch of really great stories. Did you know that uh, Snow White, even though she's dead, okay, even though it seems like she's got nothing going on upstairs, this prince comes along and the prince kisses her. Love's first kiss. And she rises from the dead and they live happily ever after. I mean, a pretty awesome story. And this is the, the, the wild thing. Um, uh, the pages, or the page that seemed the most despairing, the most awful, turns out to reveal the greatest story, the, the greatest wonders, the greatest blessings. And hey, did you know that uh, Dumbo's ears turn out not to be a curse? They actually turn out to be blessing on which he soars up to the heavens. I mean, that's a an, an, an pretty incredible story. And the Lion King, well, the Lion King, he comes back and he rules his father's kingdom. I mean, the, the lion, the lion, like the lion of Judah, he rules his father's kingdom. Pretty amazing story. And you know, uh, the beast, well, the beast, the beast actually turns back into a prince, but not the same prince. He turns back into a prince with a new heart capable of, of love. I mean, pretty, pretty good, good story. And check this out. Darth Vader repents and is reunited with Obi-Wan Kenobi. That's really cool. And Gandalf, Gandalf rises from hell. And when he rises from hell, he's no longer gray. He's white. Awesome, awesome, awesome story. And and check this one out. Uh, uh, Abraham, Abraham becomes the father of many nations. Not one nation, but many nations. Ah, Moses. Moses actually shows up in the promised land with a glowy, floaty Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. How's that for an entrance? I mean, that worked out pretty well for for Moses. And and David and Bathsheba, they end up giving birth to Jesus, the savior of the world. And Jerusalem, Jerusalem comes down new from heaven, comes down new from heaven. And uh, as I hope you know, Jesus rises from the dead and Paul, Paul writes the Bible, writes the Bible, the apostle of grace, and all glory goes to the author of the stories. His glory is grace. Why would anyone even want to hope for Hitler? Well, don't you see it? It's just like Paul wrote in the book of Romans. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Grace is what makes a a story great, a great story. Ellie Wiesel wrote this. God created man because he loves stories. So I I do. I, I hope Hitler has more than a second chance. In fact, I hope Hitler receives a new heart flooded with the grace and the glory of God. I hope to see Hitler washing the feet of six million Jews. And not because he has to, not because Jesus is pointing a gun at his head saying, be good, Hitler, but because Hitler wants to from the depths of his being. It's his very delight, his greatest joy, and it's their greatest joy, Hitler's greatest joy. It's like a communion of joy communion of joy. You know, heaven for Paul was communion with people that he once sought to exterminate. (laughs) People just like you. What's beyond the wall? Amazing stories. And I get to not only hear those stories one day in heaven, I can take part in those stories on earth 
right now. And if I take part in those stories on earth right now, then I'll participate in a communion of stories in heaven. Remember how Jesus saved you? You were a beast. I'm serious, you were a beast. And then remember how he used you to save me? I was an ass. Remember how Jesus saved us? He saved all of us. This is a great party. Communion. But you know, if I even suspect that someone is simply and solely a vessel of wrath created by my God only for endless torment, only for endless destruction. Oh, in the blink of an eye, I will erect a dividing wall. I want no part in that story. And yet if I believe that God is writing a good story, in other words, if I believe that God is good and that he is all powerful, Well, even if they bite me, even if they curse me, even if they crucify me, I'll have hope that I'm sharing in the sufferings of Christ and we are writing an incredible story to the glory of our God who is absolute good. So, let's be on the wall. Amazing people. And God, in all his glory, a slaughtered lamb standing upon the throne. Michael Mead wrote this. A story is a store or storehouse. Things are actually stored in the story. And what's stored there is the meaning. In Greek, the logos. Jesus is the meaning to every story. The logos, the plot. J.R. Tolkien wrote this. You can't keep the gospel out of stories. You know, even bad stories are a longing for the good story, right? That's what makes them bad, that you're longing for the good story. The good story, chaos turned to order. The lost find the way, or even better, the way finds the lost. Lies are conquered by truth. Death gives way to life. Darkness gives way to light. Doubt to faith. Despair to hope. Condemnation to grace. In other words, chaos is defeated by the word of God who is our Lord Jesus Christ, crucified and risen from the dead. See, if I believe that God is writing a person's story with Jesus, then I can bear testimony to Jesus and become part of the story that God is writing through Jesus. You know, Jesus means God is salvation. That's what his name means. God is salvation. His name is glorious. If I believe that God is writing a personal story with Jesus, then I can bear testimony to Jesus who saves us from our sin, our self. But if I believe that, that God may not be writing their story, what do I bear witness to? I bear witness to myself as that person's savior or to their self as their own savior, the self that saves them from God. In other words, I erect a dividing wall of hostility between that person and God. Oh yeah, they'll honor him with their lips, but their heart will be far, far, far from him in hell. So anyway, on the other side of the wall is people and God and me. (laughs) Now this is wild, but Paul wrote it. We are already seated in the heavenly places with Christ. That's crazy, What, what does that mean? It means that my life, my true self, the eternal me, the real me is found beyond the wall because I'm connected. The real me is connected to every other story. (laughs) Andy's story is my story. My story is Andy's story. Our stories are connected. I'm connected to every other story and to God. We are reconciled, writes Paul, in one body. One body, one life. And life is this great diversity in, in unity where walls of hostility have become gates of mercy, where one member sacrifices for all and sac- all sacrifice for one. So, so beyond the wall of hostility is, well, amazing people. And the glory of God in Christ Jesus and my true self, me, <laughs> in jubilee. Remember last week we started talking about 
Jubilee. And hey, next week is Jubilee Sunday, so maybe this would apply somehow. But um, we're going to start talking about Jubilee, and this was fascinating. I discovered this. You know, the, the word Jubilee actually means ram's horn, but it's a very unusual word for ram's horn. That's not normally, the usual word is shofar, but the word uh, Jubilee is really pretty much only used in basically in, in two places in Scripture. A little bit here, one or two others, where it means something like this, but extensively in these two places. In Joshua 6, the children of Israel blow the Jubilee and the walls of Jericho come tumbling down. And then in Leviticus 25 through 27, the Israelites are instructed to declare a jubilee on the day of atonement. That's the, the, uh, in, in the 50th year, the atonement in the 50th year, after 49 years, that's seven times seven, the Sabbath of the Sabbath, so it's like a super Sabbath, on the Jubilee, all dividing walls were to come crashing down. All debts were forgiven. Prisoners were released uh, from prison. All land was to be returned to the people to whom God originally allot- allotted it, and all were to remember Leviticus 25. The Lord said, the land is mine, and you are sojourners. Sojourners and strangers, they're with me. You know, that to me suggests there's maybe even better land somewhere. But anyway, it appears that Jubilee was never observed by Israel as commanded. However, Jubilee over time did become part of the Messianic hope, this idea that the Messiah would come and proclaim the year of Jubilee. Remember when Jesus stands in the synagogue in Luke chapter four and quotes Isaiah 61? That's exactly what he does. Good news to the poor, liberty to the captives. I announce to you the year of the Lord's favor. And and everything went well that day, that synagogue uh, morning, until until he began to point out that the the Jubilee would also include the Gentiles. like Naaman the Syrian and the widow of Zarephath, and then his hometown tried to kill him, remember? Tried to run him off a cliff. Well, the Jubilee never did happen. It never did happen until Pentecost. 50 days after the resurrection, the year after the, or the day after the 49 days, the Sabbath of the Sabbath, Pentecost, and it didn't happen by the power of human flesh and the law. It happened by the power of the Spirit with tongues of fire in Jerusalem, a multitude from every nation under heaven, including Arabs, Acts 2 and 11 points out Jews and Arabs. They all heard the good news in their own language, all shared everything in common, and none had any lack. It was the new Jerusalem coming down, and her gates are always open. It was that prophecy in Zechariah 2 we talked about last time. I will be to Jerusalem a wall of fire all around and the glory in her midst. It was the church. The church, not protected with walls of stone, but with walls of fire. God is fire and God is love. Our relationships, you see, are not to be mediated by ordinances and laws and walls of stone. Our relationships are to be mediated by fire. And God is fire. And God is love. The fire is grace. The life of Christ. It was, it was Jubilee that day. Pentecost. The new Jerusalem. It, it was a party. Heaven is a great party. And the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It, but now listen. Don't expect Barack Obama or Benjamin Netanyahu, or Hamas. I mean, don't expect the principalities and powers of this world's present darkness to tear down the walls. They only know how to build walls. It's called legislation, stuff like that. Don't expect them to tear down the walls, but God has called you to tear down the walls. And this is how we do it. We find dividing walls of hostility. And then in the power of the Spirit, we climb over the walls and very simply love the people on the other side. And not to save them. I mean, not, that's great if that happens, but God is the Savior. I, I mean, not to save them so much as to experience salvation. <laughs> Jubilee the kingdom of heaven on the surface of hell. You know, Sun Valley is said to be the poorest part of our city. I I think that means there's probably a dividing wall around Sun Valley. 
and so I really hope that you would do this next week, that, that we would climb over the wall and just love the people on the other side. And, and I don't think we're probably going to do huge things for them. I and mean, maybe people have a few more diapers or, or whatever. I, I, but maybe we would do this for them. They would begin to realize, hey, maybe there really isn't a dividing wall. Maybe God loves me. And maybe we would realize, maybe we would taste Jubilee. Maybe we would begin to experience the kingdom of heaven. Maybe we would love. Everything I'm saying can be summed up in one word. (laughs) Love. And we love because he first loved us. Because he climbed over the dividing wall that we had erected. And he took bread and he broke it saying, this is my body given to you. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper and having given thanks, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant, uh, the eternal covenant in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, and do it in remembrance of me. And so he calls you to his table to tear off a piece of the bread and dip it in the cup and then take that seed, take that little piece of fire and put it in the tomb. Put it in that old Jerusalem and turn it into the new Jerusalem, the Jerusalem that comes down from heaven. Come forward, uh, tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup, dark cups are wine, light cups are juice, and then let's worship him. Let's really worship him. In Jesus' name, worship him. Amen. So, Lord Jesus, your name is glorious, that God is salvation. And, Father, you consigned all men to disobedience, and so we build walls, and you even command us to build walls. You consigned all men to disobedience that you may have grace upon all. Your glory is tearing down the walls and showering your lost children with grace. And so, God, we thank you for who you are, and we pray that we would live who you are, that, Lord Jesus, we would really be your body in this world. This is Thanksgiving week, Lord. And that means we're gonna have dinner with some people we probably don't like. <laughs> and uh, Father, we pray right now for those people. So if you could think about the people you're gonna have Thanksgiving dinner with. If you don't have plans, imagine the people in this room, okay? Just, just look around that table. Anyone have big ears, big stupid ears? See anyone really pretty, but you've kind of thought to yourself, there's nothing going on upstairs. She's asleep. Maybe there's someone in exile. They're they're like the black sheep of your family and they're just imprisoned in shame. Maybe someone's a beast and he's bit you. Well, this is what I'm asking you to do. Would you, would you just thank God for that person? Just start thanking God for them. Because you see, Maybe they're not just a beast. Maybe one day you'll see those ears soaring through the heavens. (laughs) Or he'll come back and rule his father's kingdom after he understands the glory of his father's grace. Oh, maybe she'll wake up, be your bride. 
Isn't it weird how when you pray for somebody, it, things just like kind of change because you begin to realize maybe they're, they're God's story. He writes good stories. I'd kind of like to be a part of that story. And though, yeah, if you climb over that wall, you might get yourself crucified. <laughs> but that's not the end. No, the end is hanging there with you on that cross. He's the end. And he's also the life. The end is the life. So have courage. Now there may be other places that you have dividing walls of hostility. How about poor people? How about rich people? How about people on welfare? How about people that voted against any increases in welfare? How about people on the other side of the wall in Sun Valley? Would you just pray for a minute that next week you might just taste it just for a moment? I mean, at least enough to give you a little hope that you, that you might taste Jubilee. Pray, pray for people on the other side of that wall. Now let's keep praying and if, if you want to, you can pray this silently in your heart or you can pray it for this out loud, but our world is full of dividing walls. It looks like we could be on the edge of a big war in the Middle East because of a dividing wall. W would you just think of maybe some group of people that are on the other side of some dividing wall. And, and now just pray for them. And if you, if you, you don't have to, so if it's quiet, that's not a big deal, don't worry about that. But if you wanna pray out loud for one of those dividing walls, we invite you to do it so we could join with you. Well, Father, we do pay, pray for the sons of Ishmael that have been told they're cursed. Lord God, would you help them see your glory that even your curse is a, well, like a, a prelude to your blessing because your blessing is grace. We pray for the sons of Isaac that have built walls around themselves and told themselves that, Lord, you, you love them maybe in a way you don't love others and, and then they miss your love because your love is poured out from your cross as grace. Lord, we thank you that you came to tear down the dividing walls. And we pray that you would use us as your body to do just that. And that, Lord God, when we do just that, we wouldn't do it in some kind of sanctimonious, exalted kind of way. We would do it as people who hoped in who you are, people who wanted to experience your blessing, humble people who want to experience the joy of Jubilee, and people that realize it's all gift. Your kingdom is gift. And so, Lord God, we continue to worship. Just, Lord, tear down the walls and use us if you desire. And that is a pretty good story. And you're part of it. Blessed to be a blessing in Jesus' name. Last week after the sermon, 
I was walking down the aisle over here and Allison, uh, who, Allison's a professor at D, you remember she spoke a little while ago and she works on the Dead Sea Scrolls, which if you're Jewish, that makes her like Michael Jordan, okay? <laughs> um, anyway, she, she grabbed me and she hugged me and she was just crying and she said, oh Peter, I've, I've seen it, the, the dividing wall over there and it is so painful and I haven't known what to do about it and when I speak about it, a lot of Christians get mad at me and I've just, and she's suffered because of it and, and, and I remember she, she, she said, I just don't know what to do about it, I don't know what to do about it and then she told me this, when I go to Jerusalem, I stay in Bethlehem, right on the other <laughs> the other side of the wall and I know those guys over at the Bethlehem Bible College and stuff and, and I was just thinking, Allison, I go, you don't know what to do, that's it. That's exactly what to do. That's called Christmas, right? Jesus going to Bethlehem and then if they get kind of arrogant in Bethlehem, like, oh yeah, you're on our side but not uh, their side, well then go back over the wall, over to the other side. Jesus goes to Jerusalem, right? And there he suffers and dies and helps them love Bethlehem. And uh, then they look at Bethlehem in a different way. And Bethlehem looks at Jerusalem in a different way. And after a while they go, well, let's just leave this gate open here in, in the wall. And that's the gospel. So uh, may you have a healthy and wonderful disrespect for the dividing walls of this fallen world. In Jesus' name, believe the gospel, amen.